Hello, church. It's to be with you. Well, I got eat. I got eat. That's the best one, isn't it? I could have had prayer or listen or serve, but I got eat. And I love eating. And you know, because of this, now we get to eat for Jesus. So that's a good thing, isn't it? So just to recap, we're in a series called Bless. We're kind of halfway through a series called Bless. And this is about taking Jesus' command to go and make disciples and really making it the starting point of our purpose for each day, the reason that we get up each morning. And this is evangelism made simple. I like simple. I think the world's complicated enough. So for me, simple is really, really good. So we've looked at the B, begin with prayer, the importance of asking God who to put on our blessed list, and then committing to pray for those people each day. We've looked at L, listen, this thing of listening to God for those people. And then when we meet with them, just kind of closing our mouths and deliberately listening more than we speak so we can hear uh, what it is that's going on in these people's lives. And then next week, we're going to look at serve, how we can serve and love and bless them. And then finally, we're going to look at story, how we can drop into the conversation when it's the right time. Just little bits of our story of what Jesus has done in our life. But today we're on eat. Now, if I asked you to list the main things that Jesus spent his time doing during his time on earth, I wonder what kind of things you'd think of. If you're like me, you'd probably think of things like teaching. Uh, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching. He spent a lot of time doing miracles, healing the sick and raising the dead, walking on water. But have you ever noticed how much time Jesus spent eating? Just think for a moment, if you can, of any examples, any stories in the Gospels of where Jesus is at a meal or he's eating somewhere. Just have a think for me. One or two of you just call out examples of that. Last Supper, brilliant. Yes, eating with Zacchaeus, great. Any more examples? Passover, brilliant, yes. Any more? What was that? Feeding the 5,000? What did you say in the middle? I miss her, sorry. Ah, yes, yes, brilliant. Thank you so much. There's loads and loads of examples of where Jesus is at a meal. Uh, Robert Karras is a New Testament scholar. He writes that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. This is what Jesus did. God lives on the earth for a certain number of years and he spends this much time eating. Maybe there's something in it. You know, the Christian author uh, Tim Chester writes that Jesus didn't run projects, establish ministries, create programs or put on events. He ate meals. You know, Jesus even said this about himself. In Matthew 11, he's speaking to a crowd and he said, the son of man came eating and drinking. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with Jesus. We're going to explore three simple, three simple things today. How Jesus ate, how we can eat for Jesus, and why eating for Jesus matters. Now, I'll be really honest with you. Preparing for this preach and doing blessed for myself has really challenged me. Actually, it's made me examine a couple of things. It's made me examine my diary, how I spend my time. And it's made me examine my heart. I think that what we're going to look at just now is something that is, in one way, kind of really ordinary and very simple and very doable, but at the same time, actually really quite profound and challenging. So how did Jesus eat? I'm going to look at one of my favourite stories involving Jesus eating. I like it because it says so much about Jesus' choice of dinner company 
and actually what it says about the mission that Jesus was on. So we're in Matthew 9, um, verse 9. If you've got a Bible, do turn to it now. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. The words says on the screen. So Matthew 9, verse 9, says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord God, Father God, I thank you so much actually for this blessed series. I thank you for the way that you've blessed us so richly in ways that we we just can't even comprehend, Lord. You've blessed us. And Lord, you love the people in this town. You love the people you've placed around us. And Father, we want to get better at loving and serving those people. So I ask that just in these next few moments, Lord God, you'd help us to, as we look at this passage, to understand more about you, to see more about your compassion for people, your love for people. Lord, we want that. We want a compassion for the people you've placed in our lives. Fill us with your spirit. Teach us what it looks like to love people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Jesus is walking along and he sees this tax collector, Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, most commentators agree that the Matthew in this story is likely the gospel writer, Matthew himself, writing a first-hand account of this meeting. Matthew's in his office. He's at work. It's likely a customs and excise booth somewhere near Capernaum. And Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. And the next scene we see is Jesus in Matthew's house eating a meal. I think that's quite odd, isn't it? Jesus says, follow me, and the next thing you know, we're at Matthew's place. And you know, Jesus seemed to do this a lot. He seemed to have this knack of inviting himself over to other people's houses. He did this with Zacchaeus in in, um, Luke 19. He says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. And perhaps here it's pretty similar. He says to Matthew, follow me, and then he says, we're going to yours for dinner. I was chatting with um, Abigail Akinla, one of our small group leaders, recently. You'll see this conversation, actually, if you're, if you're following the Blessed series in your, small, in your small group. It's one of the discussion videos. But Abigail's from Nigeria, and she was saying to me that in Nigerian culture, as in many parts of the world, and many of you will know this better than me, it's very, very normal to invite yourself over to someone else's house. You can just turn up at their house and they'll welcome you, and they'll invite you to sit down with them and, and eat with them, and perhaps that's the whole afternoon gone. You know, in a Western culture, we're not so good at that. If you do that here, you might get some funny looks. People are a bit, a bit more standoffish about letting you just kind of come in if, they, if you're not invited. You know, we miss this in a Western culture, but in many parts of the world, eating together is about so much more than just food. And some of you will know this if you spend time in a different nation. A shared meal represents friendship and community. It's a powerful expression of welcome and of inclusion. Eating together shows a significant relationship. To eat with someone is to say, I want to be associated with that person. 
So what's going on in this passage is that Jesus is intentional about who he eats with. So who does Jesus eat with? Well, here he's eating with tax collectors. And not just Matthew, but this whole other group of tax collectors who seem to show up just for this meal. And it's really important that we understand how tax collectors were seen. See, to say they weren't held in high esteem is an understatement. Tax collectors were known for cheating people out of money. They'd, they'd collect more than they needed and they'd keep the extra for themselves. So they were seen as corrupt. And worse still, they worked for the oppressive Roman Empire. So they were seen as traitors to the Jewish people. On top of that, you've got other sinners who've shown up. Now, this word sinners could mean anything here. It could mean anything from kind of prostitutes and people right on the margins of society to just ordinary people who weren't quite as strict as the Pharisees about following the law. So here they all are at this meal. I wonder, how do you see this scene? Just try and picture it for a minute. You've got this room full of people from all walks of life eating together. I see this as a joyful scene, kind of loud and raucous. I mean, let's not try and sanitize this. There's likely drinking and gossip and overeating and maybe swearing and laughter. It's raw and it's real. And where's Jesus? Well, he's right in the middle of it. And, you know, these sinners seem to really like being around Jesus. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because we know that Jesus didn't shy away from challenge. He didn't shy away from speaking the truth. And yet there was something about him that these people seemed to like. Perhaps it was his compassion, his kindness, his warmth, his love of people. Maybe they saw in him a guy who was just genuinely interested in their lives. You know, this esteemed rabbi is eating with this mix of people and the Pharisees don't like it. In fact, they're outraged by it. So they ask his followers, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is it that the Pharisees object to? Well, here's the problem. Jesus is mixing with the wrong crowd. See, the Pharisees knew what a meal meant. And also for them, there were strict rules about who a Jew could eat with and who they couldn't eat with. In their view, Jesus should have known better than than eating with these people. I love what Jesus says to them. He gets right to the heart of the matter in that challenging way that Jesus always does. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Don't mishear Jesus here. He's not saying that the the Pharisees are righteous enough and they don't need him. What he's saying is that actually you're all sick. You're all in need of me. But if you think your righteousness alone is good enough to save you, actually you're going to miss it. He gives these Pharisees a gentle rebuke. These people who, who prided themselves on how well they knew the scriptures and how closely they followed it. He tells them to go away and learn what it really means. See, somewhere along the way, these Pharisees had missed the gracious heart of God. And so they were characterized by avoidance. They'd stay away. Mixing with the kind of people Jesus was mixing with would have been abhorrent to them. They'd have feared being tainted by uncleanness, so they kept themselves away. But Jesus' lifestyle was one of involvement. Why was Jesus mixing with these people? Why was he spending so much time eating with sinners? Because he understood his mission. See, Jesus knew what his purpose was. His mission, his purpose was to come and seek and save the lost. And that meant that he needed to spend a lot of time around sinners. And he wasn't afraid to take on the religious leaders and show their self-righteousness for what it was. 
His compassion for people led him to get stuck in and spend time with people and eat with them and share life with them. See, Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty to rescue the people that he loved. I mean, isn't that what he did with you and me? He didn't stay at a distance. He came right down into the pit of our lives, into our mess. Do you know, we were the tax collector. We were the sinner. We were the sick person in need of a doctor. And he pursued us and came after us and got involved right in our mess. I wonder, where were you when Jesus met with you? Just take a moment to think back. What were you like? What kind of thoughts did you have? What were your goals and ambitions in life? What did you go after? What kind of mess were you lost in? Jesus came into that place to rescue you. He got involved. Or maybe, you, maybe you've not met Jesus yet. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to see in this passage a God of grace, a God who doesn't stand back at a distance and judge you, but who comes down and wants to get involved and do life with you. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost, and that was shown in who he chose to eat with. So what does this mean for us? Well, here's the challenge. What does our choice of dinner company say about us? If our mission is to bless, if our, if our purpose is to reach people with the gospel, then are we as intentional as Jesus about who we eat with? Do we just spend most of our time hanging out with other Christians? You know, that's important. We need, we need that time of fellowship, that time of meeting together, of community, of family time, encouraging each other. But are we also intentional about sitting down and eating with people outside the church? Spending time with them, sharing life with them. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was a missional eater. So how can we learn from Jesus' example in our approach to meals? How can we eat for Jesus? Well, let's face it, for most of us, the idea of evangelism can be terrifying. For me, I find it very hard. That's why something like bless one's problem is so helpful. You know, we may not feel like we have the answers to everyone's problems, but most of us can eat. And you know, there's power in a simple meal. I love what Dave said in that video we saw earlier, that perhaps it was the only way. See, what Dave acknowledged as he looked back on that invitation to a meal was that it was the only kind of invitation he would have accepted. If he'd been invited to come to church, he would have said no. Because of where he was at at that time, it just, it just wouldn't have worked with him. But an invitation to a meal is different. I was reading an article recently from a church pastor in the, in the US called Zach Nielsen. And he writes this. In today's culture, people tend to be less trusting of churches. So they may not show up to our Sunday gatherings. But most of them would show up to our dining room tables. I often tell the folks in our church that, humanly speaking, their table might be the most powerful place for evangelism in the 21st century. Do you know, there might be a whole heap of reasons why the people on your blessed list might not come to church. Maybe it's through past experiences. Maybe they just have a sense that they might be judged if they do. But what if having prayed for our friends and listened to them and listened to God for them, what if we simply invited them out for a meal, invited them around to our place for a meal or took them out for coffee? What if we became missional eaters? 
Nicola Wade works with uh, young adults and students in the church. And this term, she started a new ministry reaching out to students called Real Meals. I love this ministry. She's teaching students to cook. And as a university student, I could have really done with this. If I'd had real meals, it might have meant that I didn't spend three years just eating frozen chicken. It's a really, really good thing. But here's the thing. After, after she's taught them to cook, they sit down together and they eat a meal. And you know, this is fellowship. This is community. This is mission. Now, you may be someone who does this really, really well already. I'm, I'm very aware that I'm speaking from the perspective of a British introvert. And you may regularly have people over to your house all the time. You may take people out for coffee here outside the church. And you may see lives change for Jesus all the time. And if that is you, then good for you. And I'm sorry if this stuff sounds really, really obvious. I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. But just in case I'm not the only one in the room who struggles with this, then what stops us from doing this more? Let me tell you a couple of things that I struggle with on this. Maybe for you it's different things, but... For me, the biggest thing is probably time. So in the busyness of our lives, we don't tend to give a lot of time to meals. You know, we can end up seeing meals as just an opportunity to refuel, like a check-in at a petrol station before we carry on with the more important things in life. Even as I was thinking about this part of the preach, I realised I was doing it whilst eating my lunch at the same time. It's what we can be like, isn't it? A recent survey showed that the average British dinner lasts just 21 minutes. Now, some of you are thinking, actually, that's quite long. That's what I thought, (laughs) which is where we probably got a problem, isn't it? See, 55% of families now have a screen present when they're eating their meal. And new homes tend to be built without dining rooms. Because what's the point in a room just for eating in when you could have another lounge or you could have a study to work in? We don't tend to give much time to meals. And yet in this fast-paced busy way of life that we've built for ourselves, people are crying out for richer, more meaningful relationships. And you know, the dinner table can provide a great context for relationships to be built. Food is passed around, wine may be flowing, stories are told, lives are shared. You know, we can say we don't have the time, but Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. In full knowledge, there are only 24 hours in each day and seven days in a week. So what if this wasn't an extra thing that we had to do? What if we looked at the 21 meals that most of us eat each week and thought, which one of these meals could I use as an opportunity for mission? Could I maybe sit and have lunch with a work colleague? Could I invite the neighbours over for breakfast on a Saturday morning? Maybe you're a bit, young, bit younger than that. Could you share lunch with someone at school? Or maybe you could invite someone on your, on your university course out for a coffee? See, for some of us, the best response today is to look at our diaries for the next week and to think, which one of these meals could I use as an opportunity for mission? Time can be a great barrier to us in this. What else? Well, for me, if I'm honest, there's, there's a vulnerability involved in eating with someone. I mean, it's one thing praying for someone. I mean, I have to remember to do it each day, but at least I can do that on my own. It doesn't involve another person. Listening to someone, that's a bit more difficult. That involves another person being there. But actually, sitting down and eating with someone is more. It involves me giving more of myself. It involves me being more open about who I really am. And one of it is in my own home. See, now it involves boundaries and personal space. And what will people see if they come into my home? What kind of witness will my life and my home be to Jesus 
They come to ours and they're certainly not going to see a perfect family that's got it all together. They're not going to be bowled over by a haven of peace and serenity. You know, they're more likely to get tripped over by a buggy that's been left in the corridor somewhere. And besides, what will they think of the food? And if the kids are going to be around, what will happen then? What will they think of the way I parent? If my kids start arguing and I have to shout at them, what kind of witness will that be to the Lord? You know, by inviting someone into our home, we're making ourselves vulnerable. And that is okay. Because, you know, we're not putting on a show here. There's a great difference between entertaining and hospitality. Have you heard people say that entertaining? Maybe you say that yourself. See, the problem with entertaining is it suggests some kind of performance. It's about impressing our guests with our cooking or with our home or with our conversation. The goal of entertaining is to impress, and so it can become a lot of hassle. It can mean spending hours hoovering and cleaning and slaving over, over a meal. But the goal of hospitality is to love and to serve and to share what we have, even if that isn't very much. And so for me, I have to watch myself on this. If I invite someone to my house, I have to be okay with the chaos. If the rooms don't look perfect, that's okay. If our kids argue, that's okay. If the cat jumps up on the table and starts drinking from your water glass, well, that's probably not okay. <laughs> but, you, you, but you get the point. It's not about trying to impress people. It's about trying to love and serve and share life with people. And you know, meals are a great leveller. We sit down at a table at the same level, eating food that God's provided, and we share life. Do you know, it's a great way of saying, look, this is me. I haven't got it all together, but I know Jesus, and he's changing me. And you know, plenty of people actually feel more comfortable in the chaos and informality of an ordinary meal than they do in the formality of a dinner party. And the fact is, if you're genuinely trying to walk for Jesus, you're likely a much better witness for him than you know. You'll reflect more of him than you think. Jim Peterson tells the story of his friend Mario, with whom he studied the Bible for four years before Mario became a Christian. And a couple of years after his conversion, Jim and Mario are reminiscing. Do you know what it really was that made me decide to become a Christian, Mario asked. Peterson thought of all those Bible studies and theological discussions. Mario's reply took him by surprise. Remember that first time I stopped by your house? We were on our way someplace together and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. As I sat there observing you, your wife and your children, and how you related to each other, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiancé? When I realised the answer was never, I concluded I had to become a Christian for my own survival. And you know, Peterson did remember that occasion. He remembered his children behaving badly and his frustration at having to correct them in front of Mario. Yet Mario saw the grace of Christ binding that family together. If you're living for Jesus, you're likely a much greater witness than you think you are. Of course, this might not be the stage of life that you're at. It might not be about family meals for you. But I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, if you're not currently eating for Jesus, to examine your diary and to examine your heart. What stops you from doing this? If it's the cost, keep it simple, keep it cheap. If you can't cook or it just doesn't work to have people over to your house, then go out for a coffee. Or better still, just do what Jesus did and invite yourself over to someone else's house. <laughs> you might get some funny looks from it, but you probably get a free meal as well. So, so why does all this matter? 
Well, here's the thing about a good meal with conversation and friendship and love. It points towards something bigger. Have you noticed how again and again in the Bible, salvation is pictured as a feast with God? Take the story of the prodigal son. What happens when the prodigal comes home? The dad throws a party. Because when the lost are found, there's always a party. And a good party involves food. I was at a a wedding last weekend in Cornwall. And it was one of Alice's old school friends getting married. And it it was a really good wedding. And by that I mean there was good conversation, there was laughter, there was wine and there was dancing and there was a lot of food. There were rolls stuffed with pulled pork for starters. There was salted beef and potatoes and vegetables and there was chocolate roulade. And then in the evening... I think it's because the clock's going back. I think I'm really struggling with the food. In the evening there were, there were pasties and things. Well, it's just making my mouth water thinking about it. But, you know, in the book of Revelation, John, one of Jesus' friends, is on an island late in his life. And he's given a, a vision of Jesus and of what will happen when Jesus returns. It says this in Revelation 19.6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude... Like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God and mighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. You know, there is a wedding feast coming. There's a wedding feast coming. Our rejection of God centered around food. Adam and and Eve eat the fruit. But against this backdrop, God promises us a feast when Jesus returns. Says they're blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. How do we get on this guest list? Was it through anything that we did ourselves? It's all because of Jesus. It's all down to him. It's all because of the cross. I want us to try and picture it as much as we can, this feast, this eternal feast. People from every nation and all walks of life, tax collectors and whatever the modern day equivalent of tax collectors is, sinners, ordinary people like you and me who in our own strength have made a complete mess of our lives. You know, I see this as a joyful scene. They're loud and raucous. I hear laughter. Not just Sunday, Sunday morning laughter, but kind of belly laughs. Why? Because Jesus is there. He's there with his church. These people that he's rescued. You know, when Jesus eats with Matthew in this room full of sinners, the message is clear. The invitation is for everyone. The whole reason the Son of Man came was for ordinary people like you and me and all those people on our blessed list. Our brother or our sister who doesn't yet know Jesus. Our friends, the people we work with, the people we go to school with or university with, the people God has placed in our streets, just doors away from where we live. Do you know, whatever their story, however they're living right now, however far from God they might seem, maybe they seem so far from God that you wonder whether to even put them on your list. Jesus invites them to this feast. I don't know about you, but I want my friends and family to be at that eternal feast. I want to share life with them forever. We cannot save these people. Only Jesus can do that. 
But what if we learned from Jesus about it, what it looks like to really be on mission? And what if our choice of dinner company reflected that? What if we sought to bring some of the joy of knowing him into the everyday, ordinary lives of those people on our lists? Maybe it could be a significant step in their journey of faith. We've been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And now Jesus calls us to go out there and bless others. How do we do that? Is it through clever arguments and great teaching? Sometimes maybe, but more often than not, surely it's through simple things like praying for people, listening to them, eating with them, serving them, sharing our story of what Jesus has done in our life. See, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Maybe that's not as complicated as it sounds. You know, we don't even have to go too far. Many nations are right here on our doorstep. Maybe mission can be ordinary and normal and simple. Maybe like for Dave, it could start with a meal. I want to just end with a quote from a guy called Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer is an American theologian. He says this about reaching out to people outside the church. Don't start with a big program. Don't suddenly think you can add to your church budget and begin. Start personally and start in your home. I dare you. I dare you in the name of Jesus Christ to do what I'm going to suggest. Begin by opening your home for community. You know, there's power in a simple meal. Jesus understood his mission and he showed it through the way he did meals and who he ate with. He has blessed us more than we could possibly know. Let's go out there and eat for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.